All right, so um, so we are wrapping up our series today, uh, our At the Table series, and uh, it's been a fun series, and I've enjoyed it, and I've enjoyed this table that Steve O'Keefe uh, has made, and so we have some more announcements about this table uh, that's going to come up before too long, but um, one of my favorite things to do is to eat, um, and some of you have looked at me and been like, you didn't even have to tell us that. We already could tell, and so I love to eat. Uh, you guys may not know this, but I am a bit of a uh, foodie. And uh, so all the time I get texts from um, friends and people here at Journey are like, hey, I'm going out to a restaurant. I'm taking my wife out. I'm taking some friends out. Like, where should we go? And I'll give them a rundown. I'll say, like, how many people are going? Like, what part of town are you going in? What type of food do they like? And there's a pretty good chance that I can give you a pretty good recommendation of a restaurant. For example, this is just free for everybody. If you've never ate at Hammerheads, you just need to go there. It's in a basement of a guy's house, but trust me, it's awesome, all right? And so uh, it's this great restaurant um, in Louisville. And so there's all kinds of cool spots that I love to find out. And when I find out about cool restaurants, I love to tell people about them. I love to share those experiences. I love to take my wife there, take my family there, take friends there. Um, and, And so it's one of these things where when I find out something that's exciting, something that's new, something that in my mind is just worth telling people, I make sure that I make tell the people that want to know the information or maybe need to know the information, right? And so that's just one of the things that I love to do, and I love to sit around a table with some friends and share a meal. Now, there's this thing that we do in church that's kind of weird for some people, but it's called communion. And communion, um, the idea behind it started around this table that we've kind of talked about years and years ago when Jesus sat down with some of his friends and he shared a meal with his friends. And, and, and so if you grew up in church or you've been around church, you're probably familiar with communion in some ways. And we call it different things and we'll kind of walk, work through that today. But the church I grew up in, um, and maybe some of this will bring back memories for some of you guys, I grew up in a church where on Sunday... Uh, they passed these large golden plates. Do you guys remember these? And they had these little bitty like shot glasses of grape juice in them. And then they would pass another plate that was smaller that had a doily in it for some reason. And then it had like little chiclet crackers in it. And, and you would take the little chiclet crackers that weren't very tasty and, and you, would, you would eat them and that was your communion. Uh, in my church, one of my favorite stories um, about communion was uh, we had kids church like we have here. So, you know, we, kids are, they're welcome in here, but they're going to enjoy it out there much more better, I promise. And so, we had kids' church, and so uh, any of the kids that wanted to take communion could. And so it wasn't a lot of kids that wanted to do it, so every week they would send up to kids' church a communion tray with the little doily and crackers and then the juice. And towards the end of the service, uh, our teachers would pick a couple of kids that would take the communion trays back down to the communion room so that it could get refilled for the next service. And, and so uh, there was one Sunday, me and my friend Phil... We always volunteered for it, and the reason we volunteered for it is because um, what we would do on the way from the kids' church room to the communion room is we would quickly drink all of the leftover juice in all of the cups, and that was like our little like game, and so we would do that like every week, and uh, one week we went down to the communion room, and, and, and this is, my mom is not happy about this story, and so, uh, so we, we saw the trays of communion setting there. Now, in our mind, um, it was already the first service we were at the first service, and, but we thought we were at the second service, all right? And, and so what happens is we thought all the juice that was there on the table was leftover juice. So we go to town and drink two trays, I mean, of communion juice, only to realize that that was the communion that was about to go up to the service they were having so these guys take these communion things upstairs, and they had this little lid on it with a little cross. And so they, they take off the lid and go to set it down, and the juice is all gone. 
And uh, so I got in a lot of trouble for that. And so, uh, so that was my favorite story. Now, so maybe you grew up in that environment, or maybe you grew up in Catholic church, and in Catholic church, things are done a little bit differently. Uh, there was this process that maybe you're familiar with called transubstantiation, and that is this process in which the priest would pray over the juice and the bread, or the wine and the bread, um, before the service. And, and transubstantiation is this belief that literally, we're not just talking about bread and wine anymore, like it's it doesn't just represent the blood and body of Christ like it, it becomes the blood and body of Christ. And so then you would walk down um, and you would usually typically you would go before the priest and the priest would serve you the communion. And so maybe you're familiar with that kind of thing. Um, Journey, our history has been kind of different. So we started with a style of communion called intinction. And it's actually one of the oldest styles, even though people don't do it anymore. And the way we used to do it is we had tables kind of around this room and we'd have a loaf of bread there and then kind of a glass of wine. And so you would go and you'd actually like rip off a piece of bread and you'd dip it in the juice and then you would eat it. And, and so early on in Journey's history, like you guys don't know this because you walk in and it's a full room every week and all that. But I mean, early on, we had 20, 30 people. I mean, it was like that for a couple of years. And, and so we would have volunteers that would bring in the, the communion juice or the grape juice. And uh, there was this one Sunday, I remember, where we're doing it, and everybody's like raving about the communion, and they were like, it's so good this week. And I'm like, okay. So I was like, I mean, it can't, it's grape juice. It can't be like that great, you know? And so I go and I try it, and I'm like, yeah, I know why you guys like it, because it's wine. Uh, that is not grape juice. And we don't have a problem with that or nothing, but it was just kind of this weird thing. And, and so the other thing about intinction that gets kind of weird, and you guys complain, so we listen, um, is that, you know, a couple things. Well, people will grab the juice and they'll, the bread, and they'll dip their fingers down in the juice, right? And so, like, you see somebody dipping their hands in something, you're, you're like, it's not appetizing, right? Or, or you would have floaters, you know, like little pieces of bread that float at the top. And then the best was, there was one week where this guy, I mean, he just, he walked up to the table, he took the bread, took a hunk of bread, ate it, and then he just took the cup and just turned it up and, and, and drank it. And so we stopped doing that. And, uh, and, and then COVID hit, and so every church in America you pretty much go to, now uses these little disposable cups with that. I, that's not a cracker. I don't, styrofoam is the best way to describe it. Um, and, and the juice. So everybody does that. But the, the whole point of me telling you all that is, is in all of those stories, regardless of your environment or what you grew up in or even what we use now, it's not what you use that matters. It's what it represents. And, and, and so there's a little backstory to kind of this scene that takes place where Jesus is sitting at this table with these guys and he's going to break the bread He's going to open the wine. And, and, and so uh, it, what's happened is Jesus, for three years, has been kind of doing this ministry in this kind of small region. Um, and he's building some momentum, but there's also a lot of chaos that's surrounding Jesus. And so there's all of this chaos. So not only is Jesus in a lot of chaos, his disciples are in a lot of chaos. And, and there's just all kinds of things just constantly happen. And they're trying to wrap their minds around it and process it. And, and, and what's crazy is, so he's going to have this meal, and in this meal, there's going to be like this moment where there's peace. And there's this moment where he just sets down with these guys, and they break bread, and they drink the wine, and there's like this moment of calm. And then they're going to leave that table, and they're going to walk away, and it's going to get really chaotic really fast. And it got me thinking, like, maybe that's one of the reasons that we have this moment every week is because life is chaos. And so some of you guys, you walked in with a lot of chaos going on and a lot of stuff that you're just going through and dealing with. And so you walk in with all of this stuff 
And then there's like this moment where we come in here and we sit around the table and we break the bread and we drink the wine and we have this moment of peace. And then we walk out and it's chaos again. And I don't know if you guys have weeks like that, but I do, where you walk in here and sometimes it takes everything you got just to walk up this one step and get up here and share. And then we have this moment together. And then you never know what you're about to walk into. But we have that moment that he gives us. And so Jesus, he takes this bread and he says, this is my body. And he takes this cup and he says, this is my blood. And no matter what you faced and no matter what you will face, broken body, poured blood, we have this moment to recenter, to refocus, and for there to be a moment of peace in a world of chaos. The scriptures, it says over and over again that we are to be thankful. And so the word, another word that we use for like communion or Lord's Supper or whatever you call it, uh, is the word Eucharist. Maybe you've heard of that depending on what tradition you grew up in. And, and the Eucharist is a, is a Greek word and the translation of it is literally in English means the good gift. And so Eucharist or communion is this good gift. And, and so what I want to do is kind of explore that just for a moment. Because see, I thought growing up that the reason that he broke the bread is because bread kind of looks like skin. And, and, he's, you know, and so you, you, you're eating this, the skin of Jesus, which is weird. I, I get it. And then like, if you think about wine, like it kind of looks like um, blood. And, and, and so uh, funny side note, if you've never studied church history, uh, the early Romans, they would write letters to each other about the Christians um, and, and the reason they'd write letters is because they thought we were possibly vampires. Um, study that for yourself if you want. Uh, because we talked about eating flesh and drinking blood. And so the Romans actually thought we were like cannibals or vampires. But let's take a moment and see what this step represents. So the first thing you have is bread. And uh, so bread uh, to us is just bread. Like it's a, it's a vehicle for meat and cheese to enter our bodies, right? And so, um, so that's at least for me. And so you have bread. And uh, so this is from Panera, and so this is a baguette, and uh, bread is just bread to us, and it's everywhere, and you can get it cheap, you can, you can find it everywhere. Um, but so you got to understand, bread in a Jewish culture represented something much more than just bread. So in a Jewish culture, especially in the ancient world, um, it's an agricultural setting, okay? And so what that means is you cannot just get up and go to the grocery store and just buy whatever you wanted. You, you couldn't buy tomatoes in January. You couldn't go buy strawberries in December. You, you couldn't go and get a frozen pizza anytime you wanted to or a bag of Cool Ranch Doritos. Like, you just couldn't do that. And, and so what they, in agricultural society, um, you only eat if you actually take the time to produce some of the food that you're going to eat. And the only way you're able to produce food is if you actually plant food, Right? And so you would plant these seeds into the ground or you would raise this livestock or whatever it is. And here's the thing, um, after you plant the seed and after you, you have this animal or whatever it is that you're going to eat, um, the earth has to do its part, right? Like there has to be rain and there has to be sun and the weather has to cooperate so that the animals can live and so that these seeds will grow. And so in a Jewish culture, uh, their understanding was how much they depended on the earth, which also for them meant their understanding of depending upon God because God is the one who provided everything that they needed to survive. And so for them, bread and food is just a direct gift from God. 
And so in Jewish culture, when you sat down for a meal, it was a tangible, daily, living, breathing reminder that God gives you the gift of life. And, and so bread for them, it represents something more. It represents a gift of life that we've all been given. And, and there's this idea that bread is even holy and, and sacred. Um, there's this ancient Jew, Jewish phrase that said, every table is an altar. And the idea was that every time you sit around the table and, and you break bread with somebody, you understand that that's a central part of life and your spiritual life. And the central part of your spiritual life doesn't just take place in a church or a synagogue. It takes place when you sit around a table in your home, when you're gathered with the people that you love the most. Do you realize that the bread on your table reminds you that God who sustains life has given you this moment, has given you this gift? And so you're sitting down with your friends and you're saying life is a gift that we share together. And so bread has this really big important thing because bread to them represents the basic core of the life that we've been given and the God that's given us this life. And, and so bread is a big deal. But so it's like this kind of basic staple in life and all this. But, but then you have wine. This is from our friends at Forest Edge Winery. And so uh, you have wine. And um, so wine, you, you'll see wine over and over again in the Bible. And, and the thing about wine is wine was for celebration. Wine, whenever it's talked about, is usually being discussed in a moment of celebration or a moment of victory. Uh, for them, wine was a symbol of joy. And so bread means that you have life, but wine means that there's something a little extra in life. There's something worth enjoying. We see over and over again in the Old Testament this idea that it's kind of used in these moments of abundance and these seasons of blessing. But we also see the opposite time, true at times, where that wine is used to dull the pain of bad times that's happened. There's this, this famous uh, Jewish kind of proverb that takes place in Amos. Uh, it's a book in the Bible. You probably didn't know Amos was a book in the Bible, but it is. It's a cool name too. And so uh, in Amos chapter 9, it says this, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountain shall drip sweet wine and the hill shall flow from it. I will restore the fortunes of my people. So this is being written in a time when, when they don't have a lot to celebrate. I will restore the fortunes of my people, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. And so God's symbol of wine is a symbol of promise and restoration and future. And so we see bread and we see wine, and we have to understand these aren't just random things that Jesus grabbed. Like for those guys sitting around the table, these things meant something. It meant the life that we get to live and the celebration of life and the pouring of wine that we all have been given as a gift from God. So Jesus takes the bread and he, he breaks, he takes the bread and he breaks it and he pours the wine. And then he says this, he says, do this in remembrance of me. And, and so it's this kind of thing that we just kind of gloss over, but we have to understand that, that what is he saying when he's saying, do this in remembrance of me. And, and so every week at Journey, we, we do it. And for some of us, it's just kind of become this thing that we do. And so we just kind of pop the lid off of, you know, and we, we eat the little styrofoam thing and all this. And, but you got to understand that, that for them sitting around this room, they're, they're not, they know what bread and wine represents and they know the love that Jesus has given them. But even to this point, they don't fully understand what's about to happen. And so later, Paul is going to be writing about what's actually taken place in Jesus. And he's going to give us the thing that we're supposed to remember when we gather around the table together. He says this in 1 Corinthians. He says, and all of this is a gift from God. So, so what's all of this? Well, life. All of it. The whole thing. It's a gift. Who brought us back to himself 
through Christ. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And so what does it mean when Jesus breaks his bread, breaks his breaks the bread, but breaks his body and pours his blood on the cross. Well, what it is, is it's God reconciling the world to himself. And, and then later he's going to explain it even in better words. He says this, one of my favorite verses in Colossians, and through him, Colossians 1, and through him, speaking of Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself. Now this is big language. See, the word in there that for everything in Greek, um, it means everything. He's reconciling everything, you, me, us, them, the world. He's reconciling everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. He made peace with everything. And here's why that's such a big deal is because I don't care who you are, what your background is. Every person that's ever walked into this room and every person that ever will walk into this room, do you know the one thing that we all have in common that we want? We want peace. We want to be at peace. We want peace in our life. We want peace in our households. We want peace in our families. We want peace in our hearts. And and this verse says that, that, that Jesus, through what he does, through the breaking of his body and the pouring of his blood, is that he's making peace with everything. And I want peace, and I think most of you do too. And so you notice the language. It's not says he's making peace. He's made, past tense, peace. And, and so if that's true, well, that would be worth celebrating that God has made peace for us. And so how would you celebrate in, in ancient times? Well, what you would do is you would gather your friends around a table, and you would break bread and you would pour wine, and you would celebrate together. There's these three famous stories that we use a lot here at Journey, because I love the stories, but there's these three famous stories. We actually used them not too long ago, and the three stories, it takes place in Luke chapter 15, and it's, it's kind of considered like this chapter of God's reconciliation of things. And, and so the first story that we see is a lost sheep, and so um, this sheep wanders off, and, and so Jesus asks this question. He says, so suppose this guy had 100 sheep, and one of them wanders off, like, so he's still got 99 that are safe. Um, wouldn't the shepherd go and, and chase down the one? And, and we read that and we're like, oh, such a great story. Like God would go chase the one. Um, it's true. It's a great story. But every shepherd here in that story would have been like, nope. We got 99. If I leave the 99 and go look for the one, now I'm putting the 99 at risk. And 99 is still a pretty good number, Right? And so it's kind of this weird story, and, but Jesus says, no, God would even go and chase after the one, even if he had the 99. And then there's this story about this lost coin where this woman has these coins, and she loses this coin, and, and she searches to try to find it, and, and she can't find it, and eventually she does find it, and, and so this coin just gets misplaced, or we don't know where the story, but, but you know, she spends all day looking for a coin. And the coin that we see like, doesn't even have that much value. And then the most famous of all the stories is the story of the prodigal son. And the story of the prodigal son is there, there is this, this man who has two sons, and, and one of the sons chooses. It's not like a sheep wandering off. It's not like a coin that just gets misplaced. Like, this guy chooses to leave. Like, he's like, I understand who you are and what you've done for me. Um, I'm, I'm out. 
And in all three of those stories, the God figure, in case you haven't figured it out, is the shepherd, is the woman, and is the father. And, and so the story is kind of painted, these stories are kind of painted, that, that what length would God go to find something that, that's lost? But there's another connection in all these stories. And the connection in these stories is that after each one of those things is found, there's a party. There's a celebration. The, the, the shepherd, he, he calls together all of his neighbors and he says, Rejoice, I found my lost sheep. And so, so he gathers all the shepherd friends together and they have a party. The woman with the lost coin, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost coin, let's have a party. And, and, and the economics of, of God that doesn't always make sense is, well, she just found the coin and now she's going to throw a party. The party's going to cost more than the point. coin was probably even worth. Like, like, what's that? And he's like, no, see, when something's lost and it's found, we, we celebrate that. And the prodigal son, my son has returned, go kill the fattened calf, like let's celebrate this. And, and so what you have to understand in, in this kind of world that God sees is when, when something is lost, but then gets found, when something is returned to where it's supposed to be, well, what you would do is you would have a feast. And, and what would you do in the ancient world when you're going to have a feast? Well, you'd call your, all your friends together and, and you would gather around a table and you would break some bread and you'd open up some wine and you'd celebrate together. Jesus tells us in those parables that it's not just here on earth the celebration takes place. He says it's in heaven as well. And so when we participate in the breaking of bread and pouring of wine, we're remembering the reconciliation of all things, including you and me. And I know that we don't like this language, especially if you're not familiar in the church world, but, but here, see, here's the thing. I was once a lost sheep and a lost coin and a prodigal. And so are you. And so we celebrate the God who pursues. But there's one last thing that we have to discuss when we talk about gathering around this table as we do. is So, so God, the scripture kind of emphasizes that God gives the world life through the breaking of Christ's body. So God reconciles all things, which is the world, to him through the breaking of Christ's body. But, but then our understanding of God continues that, that, that God continues to give a gift to the world, not just through Jesus, um, but through the body of Christ. And so Paul tells his friends at Corinth, um, he, he says this, he says in verse tw- chapter 12, verse 27, he says, you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. So he's talking to Christians. He's talking to people that have accepted Jesus into their lives. And, and, and so here's what you have to understand is that just it wasn't for the Corinthians, that was also for us. And, and so what you have to understand is that if you've accepted Jesus, like you are a part of the body of Christ. You are in some ways a living Eucharist. <laughs> a living good gift to the world. That God has made peace with the world through the breaking of Jesus' body and God continues to make peace with the world through his body, which is us. Peace has been made and a church is supposed to be a place where peace has been made, but we celebrate that by remembering, but also being people who make peace ourselves. Paul uses some language. He refers to this idea of a living Eucharist um, as the church, as a new humanity. See, we live in a world that divides us. And we live in a world that tells us why we should be divided. 
And we live in a world that tells us why we should be at each other's throats all the time. And we live in a world that tells us all of these differences that we have and why they actually matter. And, and if you don't believe me, just get on Facebook and uh, you'll have fun with that. And so um, we live in this world, but in this new humanity that Paul talks about, this good gift that's given to the world, the body of Christ, the church, um, what we find out is people who thought previously they had nothing in common discovered that the thing that they now have in common is actually the only thing that really matters. People who previously found themselves on opposite sides of issues and ideas and opposite sides of a wall, so to speak, learned that the wall's been destroyed. People who fought over endless array of issues realized that peace has been made and because peace has been made between me and God. And, and, and so, like, was there really anything worth arguing about? In this new humanity, you hear perspectives you probably wouldn't normally hear. And, and Jesus invites us to actually learn to walk into someone else's shoes, to not just judge people because that's what we do in the world, but to realize that those people that you refer to as those people or those type of people, all of a sudden those categories don't hold up because we're different and we're changed. You learn that the labels you have for different people are insufficient because here's what you understand. You realize that people are more complex and unpredictable, but also intelligent and creative than you ever understood because they were designed by a God who is complex, unpredictable, intelligent, and creative. And you realize that God says that all of them matter. A church is a new humanity on display where we meet, engage, interact, and then we break bread and we drink wine and we remember the broken body and the shed blood. And here's the thing. It was supposed to be something beautiful. A gift for the world. That's what it was supposed to be. And so Paul, he says this. And all of this is a gift. We already seen this verse. But there's another part. From God, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. And the question is, this beautiful thing that was supposed to be started and this great hopeful message, what happened? Yeah, I love to tell people, about new restaurants that I get to go to. Um, I also love people about like, new products that I find or like new workout things or new running shoes or you know, new Apple products or new TV shows or you know, I think everybody here that wants to, I mean, Ted Lasso, come on. And so you know, I, I love to tell people about this stuff and, and I love to do it. And, and the reason I love to do it is because I can't wait to share with people things that have helped me, things that have changed me, things that have informed me, things that I feel like have made me a better person. And, and I can't wait to tell people about that and to celebrate that and to tell them the good news of this thing that's now in our lives. And so the question is, why are we so hesitant and why do we do such a bad job telling people about the good news of a God who reconciled all things to himself? Paul continues, so we are Christ's ambassadors and God is making his appeal through us. So what is our message? What is our appeal? Well, based on what we've been the message and the appeal of, of with the message of Jesus is this, is that everyone is welcome at this table. The tax collector who nobody wanted anything to do with, the outcast, the sinner, 
Remember the woman last week, the sin, that's how she's defined. That's her title in the Bible is the sinner, right? The poor, the least of these, and the prodigal. See, the, the message of Jesus is there's no one with a past or someone that's too far gone, that there is no link that God wouldn't go to get you back. And it's not just that he's going to do it, it's that he's already done it through Jesus' blood and broken body on that cross. There's this word we use around here for, we call it communion. Now, communion is a Latin word, and the word, the origins of it means sharing in common. And, and, and so what we realize is that we all have this in common, our need for what Jesus has done for us. And, and so there's this um, writer named Anne Lamont, and she, she gives this powerful kind of statement. She says this about sharing in common. She says, me too. When you're struggling, when you're hurting, wounded, lipping, doubting, questioning, barely hanging on. Moments away from another relapse and someone can identify with you. Someone knows the temptations that are at your door. Somebody has felt the pain that you're feeling when someone can look you in the eye and say, me too, and actually mean it. It can save you. When you aren't judged or lectured or looked down upon, but someone demonstrates that they get it, that they know what it's like, that you aren't alone. That's me too. And that is what the living Eucharist of the body of Christ is supposed to be. D.T. Niles once said this, Christianity is just one beggar telling another beggar where they can find some bread. The good gift. And that's worth celebrating. And that's why we celebrate it every week is because of the hope that we have that we're not in this alone. And that there is a God who's reconciled all things through Jesus and that he will go to the greatest of links to get us back to where we belong. There's this great verse that I love at the beginning of the story of Jesus. It's this song that Zechariah kind of sings. And Zechariah is the father of John the Baptist, who's the forerunner of Jesus. And there's all this fascinating stuff that takes place in the story. But he, he writes this kind of song and this kind of this prophecy. And, and I love the language in here. And here's what he says. He says, because of God's tender mercy... The morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in the darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. And he's talking about Jesus. See, one of the most facing things I love about these stories that we read about Jesus, and when Jesus is speaking, he tells these three stories and he says there's going to be a party at the end, but, but here's what else you have to know, is that every time Jesus paints a picture of whatever's next, and we don't know, but anytime he talks about heaven or afterlife or whatever words you want to use, every time he talks about it, do you know how he describes it? As a party, as a feast, as a table we all gather around. An invitation for everyone. And so every week when we come together and we sit at this table, even though this table won't be here after this week, um, when we come to this, this idea of a table, when we break the bread and we drink the wine, we do it to not only remember and celebrate what God has already done for us, we also do it to remind ourselves that we are a living Eucharist and there's still work to be done. And we also do it to look forward to the day when we all get to sit around the table together forever where the chaos you brought in and the chaos you're going to step into is nothing more than a distant memory and there's peace here in a few minutes we're going to celebrate that idea of communion together and then we're going to have some baptisms and jesus at the 
end of these stories, he says that, that when the lost are found, heaven rejoices. And today, we get to join in that party. Let's pray.